Welcome to Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. If you're looking for something more, something different, something better, this is your opportunity. Over the next hour, we'll talk about inspiration for personal and professional success. Now, here is your host, Dr. Barbara Young. Well, hello there and happy holiday season to all of you out there. And I want to give a big shout out to my West A family and all of my local, national and worldwide radio listeners and supporters. This is going to be a very awesome day. This is the day to challenge you, to inform you listeners with a very interesting guest I have on my show today. I have Miss Kimba Smith, who's going to share her dramatic story, how she went from college student to drug dealer's girlfriend to domestic violence victim to federal prisoner. She's going to share how making poor choices, blinded by love and devotion, can have long-term consequences. Now, Kimba's case drew support from across the nation and the world. And this support prompted the then President Clinton to commute her 24 five-year sentence to time served, six and one-half years, in December 2000. So this young woman today is going to share with us the challenges she went through, but more importantly, how she overcame them. So I want you to stay tuned, call your friends, tell them they can download the show. If they miss the show, they can access it later. It's going to be downloaded, and it will also be aired on the Women's Channel on Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Standard Time. And I want to welcome you to call in live, or you can Skype your questions or comments to me at Dr. Barbara Young, or at info at transformationforsuccess.com. You can call in today as well. We'd love to hear from you, 888-346-9141. Now, let me present my guest on today's show, Ms. Kimba Smith. I met her in December, well, in September in Washington, D.C., and I heard her story, and I just knew she had to be on my show to share it with you listeners today. So, Kimba, welcome to the Transformation for Success show. Thank you so much, Dr. Young. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm so happy. Well, it's afternoon where you are. <laughs> Probably all over the <laughs> yes. world. It's either morning or midnight, but I, I'm so happy that we were finally able to get you on the show. And I, and I realize, Kimba, that there are many people that may not have heard your story that is one of hope, encouragement, enlightenment for so many people all around the world. So I, I'm just delighted again to have you on the show. Now, I know you grew up as an only child in Richmond, Virginia, and you came from an upper middle class family, graduated high school, and went to the very prestigious Hampton University. But tell us, and I know you shared in your book, and we'll talk about that later, poster child, but tell us, how did this all begin for you? It began as, you know, me being excited about um, my newfound independence and going off to college because, as you mentioned, I was my parents' only child. They were very protective, um, very grateful for them today and, and the support they've given me over the years. Um, but in going off to college, I was excited to get away from their grasp and, and to be on my own. 
And so um, got there and was a little insecure about myself, a lot insecure about myself, had low self-esteem, low self-confidence, um, would compare myself to some of the other women and, you know, kind of lost track of, you know, me being a child of God and, you know, I was raised in the church, um, but yet and still I still su- suffer from you know, these insecurities, and I would see this guy come on campus who, um, you know, came in different cars, and I would see him come up and pick up different um, students, female students who were in sororities on dean's list from different parts of the country, and I wondered who this guy was, and so eventually, you know, I'm fast-forwarding, of course, we met, and I was all excited because he actually, you know, noticed me, and we were having a conversation, but, you know, as I tell young women when I'm, you know, speaking and talking to various um, conferences mm-hmm. and groups that, you know, if I loved me the way that I needed to, it wouldn't have been such a big deal of him speaking to me that, you know, I would have known it was just only a matter of time before he would have said hello, and then I would have Mm -hmm. picked and decided whether or not I even wanted to, you know, speak back with him. But things kind of escalated, you know, pretty fast where um, initially um, he shared with me, um, you know, how he didn't like what it was that he did as far as selling drugs, but I never saw it around me, and... um, Basically, you know, in my mind, I thought like, you know, some Uh of the young girls I'm sure feel today is whatever he's doing is his business and I'm doing college. And then Uh I also thought that, well, maybe if I stay with him, maybe I could save him and, you know, influence (laughs) him to live a legal lifestyle. But yeah. somewhere along the line, I lost my priorities. I lost the fact that Gus and Odessa, my parents, didn't send me to Hampton University to convert some drug dealer thug into being a law-abiding citizen. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. Dr. Young, as of, you know, last week, you know, it happens every so often where, you know, I get an email, I get a call, I get a message. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. spoke with a, a parent, a mom, and I spoke with her daughter, who is a graduate of a university, and basically she was in the exact same situation where the mom oh, was I... panicking and wanting me to talk to her daughter about getting mm-hmm. out of this relationship. So, you know, it's definitely something that's still a story that's it's relatable. It's still going on. Yeah. Yes. That's amazing, but not quite so amazing because sometimes, you know, we can talk and talk and talk. And, you know, I kind of thought of as you were talking, my experiences of going to college and how excited and and I've been in uh, university uh, and higher education for most of my professional life. And it's the story always of the one thing you did say, we want to get away from the parents and a lot of them whether they've been sheltered or not sheltered, it still is quite an experience. And you meet someone on campus. I did too. I met a professional basketball player that took me off the road, but not necessarily a drug dealer. But but still, again, the same story. I'm 16, you know, he's 23. So tell me, um, how did things progress where it it got into a situation of of imprisonment, incarceration? How did that happen? Well, Um, initially, like I said, he kind of kept all of that stuff from me and I was doing school, but then there were some things that he asked me to do. And even prior to asking me to do anything, you know, he came across as Mr. Knight in shining armor, but then there were red flags and Uh. I totally, you know, brushed him underneath the rug thinking that, you know, it would pass, but eventually, um, 
Peter was his name, the drug dealer that I was in a relationship with. Eventually, the relationship did become abusive. The first time he put his hands on me, I thought he was going to kill me. And I had it in my mind that as soon as I, you know, get away from him, I never want to see him again. But then, you know, I listened to the I'm sorry, it'll never happen again, him crying in Mm -hmm. my lap telling me how he didn't want me to be afraid of him. Mm-hmm. And even at that moment, that still didn't sway me to believe that, oh, he, you know, I'm I'm safe and I forgive him. But it was more so, um, and I can't really go into the depth because I know we're on time constraints, but it was more so me being concerned about what other people were going to say about me because there were physical marks on me. And so oh, I figured... Wow. I figured that I would just go ahead and stay with him. And during that period of me staying with him after this first time, um, I kind of like got swooned back into thinking Mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe this won't happen again. And, you know, things escalated from there. And, you know, it became a point where he started asking me to do certain things. And so there was a period where I can remember going through an airport where he had secured wads of money across my waist and, you oh, know, wow. me, me being nervous and what am I doing and scared to death. Um, but then it came a point where he had actually murdered his best friend because he thought his best friend was cooperating with authorities. And at that particular moment, I couldn't believe that I was actually with someone who had taken another person's life. Mm-hmm. And so that love that I thought I had for him in the beginning of the relationship turned more so to fear me feeling as if I needed to protect myself and also that I needed to protect my family, my parents, because there was a particular point in time where he was trying to evade the law and I had turned myself into the authorities and he didn't have any idea of what was going on with me and he actually called my parents home and eventually threatened um, my dad because he wanted to know, you know, where I was and what, what, what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so in fast-forwarding, it became a point in time where the authorities wanted him. I eventually turned myself in seven months pregnant and still was kind of scared of what I should do, did I need to cooperate. And eventually um, I did cooperate, but it was too late. They had already found him uh, murdered in the same apartment that we were living in in Seattle, Washington. And that's when, um, not that's when, but hindsight, I know for a fact me being pregnant with my son um, is what saved my life because when Peter realized that I was pregnant with my son, he felt as if he wasn't man enough to take care of me because during that period when I was with him, the money had all run out. He was living from out of U-Haul truck, pawning items, so everything, you know, you may think this drug dealer's girlfriend, I was just this drug dealer's girlfriend and we were living the life. Mm-hmm. You know, the money had run out and eventually towards the end of the relationship when I was with him, um, I can remember there were a couple of nights we slept in the bus station um, where we didn't know where we were going to get our next meal from, you know, the quite opposite mm-hmm. of how I was raised and what I was around. And so I was grateful that eventually he felt like he couldn't take care of me and got me a train ticket to go back home to my parents. And when I went back home to my parents uh, on this two-day train ride, um, my biggest fear was that my dad is going to kill me coming home pregnant. But my biggest problem um, mm-hmm. was that I had been indicted by the federal government and I had oh, to my turn myself goodness. in seven months pregnant. Wow. Now, they were indicting you on drug dealing charges or being accessory? Um, there were, there, 
it was um, basically conspiracy drug laws, and I want to say um, I don't I don't remember what the original charges were, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what they eventually what I eventually pled guilty to was conspiracy to distribute crack cocaine, money laundering, and making false statements to the authorities. Um, mm-hmm. But understand, and this is what I want the public to understand, is that um, you don't actually have to be dealing the drugs or be, you don't actually have to be caught with any drugs because the prosecutor with my case said that I didn't handle, use, or sell any of the drugs involved in the drug conspiracy, but yet and still, based on my association with um, this person and people saying certain things, and I even said cer- certain things because, as I mentioned, I had mm-hmm. I, it was a point where I was cooperating and trying to take responsibility for my mm-hmm. actions. But yet and still, as a first-time nonviolent drug offender, with me pleading guilty, I ended up being sentenced to 24 and a half years in federal prison with no possibility of parole. That doesn't make sense. That, and that is why your uh, case caught national attention. Is that one of the reasons? Because, I mean, it made news everywhere. It, it did. It did make news. Um, it really didn't get in the news until after I had given birth to my son, where mm-hmm. five minutes after I gave birth to him, my leg had to be handcuffed and shackled to the bed because the U.S. Marshals came into my room um, giving all these orders. And... Um, also, I had been um, sent off to federal prison because previously I was in county jail, and after I got into federal prison, that's when I was appro- approached by Emerge Magazine, which back then was Black America's News Magazine, and they mm-hmm. wanted to highlight my story. And after highlighting my story, that's when the NAACP Legal Defense Fund decided that they wanted to take on my case pro bono because at the time, the fastest-growing population within prison were black women, and they had hoped that my case would set a precedent for other people's cases who were mm-hmm. first-time nonviolent drug offenders. Um, and so there were several organizations such as the Deltas, the Lynx, the National Council of Negro Women that mm-hmm. came on board to um, rally for um, my release and support. I tell you, what were you thinking when you had you were imprisoned? And, I mean, what kept you going, Kemba? Number one, what kept me going was God. Um, I grew up, you know, going to church. Um, If I was, you know, during the summer staying with my grandmother, she had us at vacation Bible school. Mm -hmm. So I had that foundation. And, you know, when I went off to college, I wasn't thinking about going to church so much. I kind of, you know, strayed away from that. Um, Mm -hmm. Not that I didn't love God. I still of course, love God, but I know for a fact God is what kept me strong um, mm-hmm. through my ordeal because I basically, you know, would read the word and pray. Mm-hmm. I tell people, mm-hmm. be careful what you pray for, because when I was seven months pregnant in county jail, I prayed and asked God to allow me to be a voice so that other people could learn from my ordeal and not have to go through what I went through. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I didn't know how he was going to turn it around or what was going to happen even after I was sentenced to 24 and a half years in federal prison. But sure enough, as soon as those prison doors open, speaking, public speaking is what um, God had me do. But along with God, my parents, you know, some mm-hmm. family members, when they have 
a relative that goes away, such as myself, you know, mm-hmm. the relatives don't want to talk about it. They want to keep it hush-hush. They don't want people mm-hmm. to talk about them. They're worried about what people are going to say. But mm-hmm. my parents, my dad mostly was out there advocating for my release, telling the story, trying mm-hmm. to bring his baby girl home, where at one particular point the um, he was CF, chief financial officer for um organization and basically they told him they didn't want him speaking out about my case because it was presenting a poor image to the organization and my dad walked away from his retirement benefits everything so that he could advocate to bring me home so yes my dad you know they're Mm -hmm. my parents they're the your family suffered as well yes wow wow what a story uh kimba i mean and so uh, one of the things that uh, when you were in a federal prison, so is the federal prison different from, say, the county uh, jail where you were? I mean, were there are there it, differences? It it is a difference um, in the sense of um, physical contact. Um, I know some people have this idea of you know federal prison club bed, and it, it's mm-hmm. not so bad. But for me. Um, being separated from my son and not being able to raise him for six and a half years, that's something that I still, um, you know, have emotional yeah. scars from. Um, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm one that I'm, when I'm speaking, I don't say that there's nothing that I did wrong. I own up to the choices mm-hmm. that I made, but mm-hmm. what the choices that I made didn't warrant me receiving 24 and a half years in prison. No. And, it, no. and in my, in my opinion, I don't, I believe that there should have been some alternatives to alternatives to sentencing, to punishment, to incarceration so that I wouldn't have lost um, the six and a half years away um, with my son. But basically as far as the difference for me mm-hmm. that, that sticks mm-hmm. out was the physical contact because after I gave birth to my son and I know all women, can't you know that have had a child um, mm-hmm. to be separated from your child after two days and not have any physical contact with him or her? Um, for me, that was something that was yeah. just inhumane, that is. and so I didn't get to touch, hold, smell, feel my son again until after I was transferred out in federal prison. I was in county jail in Virginia. And I went to federal prison. They sent the marshal sent me out to federal prison in California. So thank God, my parents, you know, got enough mm-hmm. resources from the family, and everything came together so they could come visit me for two weeks out in Dublin, um, California, at their w- women's facility. And I was, you know, able to hold, touch, feel my son again. But that was something that was, you know, very. Yep. Um, that must have been very traumatic. Well, we're going to take a quick break, uh, Kimba, and we're going to be right back. So listeners, I want you to stay tuned. We're going to come back and we're going to hear some of the more experiences, but maybe some positive ones that Kimba okay. learned from her experience. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. And thank you for listening. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better, but how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning into the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. 
All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back today with my guest, Ms. Kimba Smith, who is sharing her dramatic story as it has never been told. And for many of listeners out there, she has talked about some of her experiences from being a college student to drug dealer's girlfriend to domestic violence victim to federal prisoner. And she's sharing her story of how making poor choices, blinded by love and devotion, can be long-term consequences. But a story of hope, a story of encouragement of how a destined path takes her from federal prison to the White House. So, Kimba, welcome back, and thank you so much for sharing and for being so transparent. One of the things that we're talking about uh, for when on break is that traumatic experience of being separated from the child that you gave birth to while in a prison experience, and then traumatically having not to even touch or feel or smell that young man until six and a half years later, or maybe some years later. I don't think it was six and a half years. Because now, tell us when you got to Dublin and your um, and that experience in Dublin, were you able to then to see or have visits with your child? Yes, I was. Um, okay. Like I, I'm grateful because mm-hmm. you know not every family could do what my parents did, but basically, mm-hmm. like I was mentioning, they got with the family and they were mm-hmm. able to take a two week trip out to come to visit me because I gave birth um, to my son like in December, and I don't think I got to. Dublin's federal prison until where I got this visit to like July. So it was a a significant amount of time not to Mm -hmm. touch your child. Um, But basically um, in, in, in their coming, one of my biggest fears was, you know, what if my son doesn't, you know, recognize me or boohoo cries or, you know, I was panicked Mm -hmm. about how that experience was going to be. But again, grateful to my parents because, you know, they made sure at their house that they had stuff around him where he could smell my scent and everything. So when when the visit did come, um, we were, he didn't cry at all and everything was fine. But of course it was hard, um, you know, being Mm -hmm. able to part again. And one of the things that I just want to kind of mention in this is I know um, Camilla Harris, and she's from 
you know, California. Um, She has something called the Dignity Act that I know that Mm -hmm. they've been fighting in legislation that deals Mm -hmm. with um, women and incarceration and pregnant women. And I had the chance to meet with her um, to discuss, you know, my experience while Mm -hmm. incarcerated. So I do hope that there can be some program or leniency um, for women who turn themselves in, who are pregnant and go mm-hmm. through this ordeal because it, it, it was something that, like I said, still kind of, you know, haunts me um, today mm-hmm. in missing mm-hmm. those six and a half years of my son's life. But yeah, glory to God because my son graduated college last year um, uh, from Washington um, and Lee University and uh, is working in New York and he's very successful. Um, I raised him. My parents helped in raising him after coming home. And um, my son did say to me, like his junior year in high school, where he said, you know, mom, as much as you tried to make my life normal, um, it wasn't. And so that was something that kind of hit home because Mm -hmm. I realized certain things that he went through while I was away, and I'm mm-hmm. trying not to carry this on, but one of the things that he mentioned was, like, when he was in first grade, all the students in the first grade had to um, do a family tree. And so can you imagine a little boy oh, in front of his God. class trying to explain, you know, the dynamics, his father's, you know, dead mm-hmm. and his mom is in prison. And I was very open with my son about my ordeal because I didn't mm-hmm. want anybody telling him anything he didn't already know. So he knew that I was incarcerated. But mm-hmm. I do think that there needs to be more programming for children that have an incarcerated parent because it is such a, a isolated it feeling is. It is. to have their parents away. I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm going to have a revisitation. Um, this is a sidebar, listeners, of a woman who works with children of incarcerated parents. And one of the least, most forgotten community are those kids of incarcerated parents. Even the churches will reach out to parents, to children whose parents have died or who had tragedies. But it's somehow, when they're children of incarcerated parents, it's not the same kind of outtake and giving. So thank you for sharing that. And that's one of the things I think we really should start uh, a mission on that sort of program for those kids uh, for Christmas and for other days too. So anyway, uh, I just wanted to say that and applaud you for being honest with your child and letting him know uh, what you'd gone through. And, and I know that's probably strengthened him to be the man he is today. So thank you for sharing where he is and what he's doing today. You know, one of the things um, I wondered, um, and was one of my questions, was what did you learn from that prison experience? Were there things, were there other women there that you learned who were there wrongfully as well? Um, yes, and mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. What, that's why I, I do what I do today as far mm-hmm. as um, not only just the public speaker, but an advocate. Um, and this is how I had the amazing opportunity to meet you in September on Congresswoman Waters' um, panel. Mm-hmm. But um, basically, I-, I would have to say that, you know, I was traumatized even with being in federal prison and seeing how many other women who had, you know, people might hear my story and be like, oh, that's a shame, that's terrible, and think it's so mm-hmm. unique. Mm-hmm. But there's so many other Kimbas that are in federal prison 
who mm-hmm. deserve a second chance as well, who's never been in trouble before. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to just target, you know, people that don't have any previous criminal histories. It's just we have over 2 million people in this country who are incarcerated mm-hmm. and highest in the world. And so it's just, in my opinion, where, um, you know, we need to start thinking about crime and, and things differently um, mm-hmm. and the amount of resources that's being spent to keep one incarcerated. But it was very hurtful for me to meet so many other women who mm-hmm. are going through the same struggle and mm-hmm. honestly have learned their lesson and want to go mm-hmm. out and do the same mm-hmm. things that I've been doing as far as talking to kids about not going down the same path and yes. and oh, being yes. able to take care of their own family members. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's some women that I even met who you know, are from different countries that are incarcerated Mm -hmm. here in the U.S. And even Mm -hmm. though they, you know, had their children here, lived most of their lives here, but because they, you know, made this mistake, they Mm -hmm. eventually, after they serve their time, they still have to be deported back to their country and separated from their kids who are currently here, even though they may not have been in that country for years. So that, for me, I, I grew from learning more about our black history and culture and what Mm -hmm. we went through to get where we are today as a a culture that gave me strength and realizing just how resilient we can be as a people. Mm -hmm. But it also, when I would look at some of the other people that I was incarcerated with, Mm -hmm. it made me try not to feel so bad because I knew that other people had situations worse than I did right. as far as I was grateful because my parents came with my son to come visit me during the holidays. Mm-hmm. There were some people that never even got a visit. So I'm very grateful for what you said as far as, you know, the churches and going inside the prison because it's so needed um, because mm-hmm. eventually, believe it or not, folks, people will come out of prison and be your neighbors and you don't want to, them to be these numb, cold hearts people because no. they've been traumatized from being, you know, in these right. inhumane situations. So right. it's, 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 it's something that, um, again, I tell people I wouldn't wish prison on my worst enemy. Um, mm-hmm. It's not a good feeling to be oppressed, to, um, you know, have to stand in line to eat, to take a shower, um, to be pat search coming out of visit a visiting room or coming out of the dining hall um, to be transported. You use a lot of your be... personal dignity. Yes, yes, yes. I can just sum it up in that that term. I don't know if you know this, and I will share this. My One of my first speaking experiences um, with a, a group that was called Justice for Jesus, and this was the name of the group, and I felt compelled to join, and for two reasons. I was working on my master's, and we were given an assignment to have an experience outside your norm. And it's just so fortunate that I was led to approach this couple and found out they did prison ministry. So one of my first speaking engagements was to, uh, I went to a federal prison, and I went to um, a prison where there were all women, and I had to speak. And I tell you, Kimba, I, I can understand a lot of what you're saying because I had never been inside the walls of a prison, but I was able to walk out. But I remember saying, 
uh, I, I was so shocked. I was sort of traumatized myself just being in there. So all these women in this room, and some of them hugged up, and they were, and I, and I couldn't re- remember what what I'm supposed to say. What can I say? And then I remembered this. What came to me was there, but for the grace of God, go yes. I. Yes. And I said, I can tell you this. I come from the outside world, which you guys know. And you're here, but there are so many people out there who are more in prison than you are. So you can be free and free indeed. And you know the words that I use from my favorite book. But but basically, (laughs) (laughs) I can understand uh, what you're talking talking about in terms of... Well, thank you for being so open to let that be, you know, one of your first um, speaking uh, speaking experiences. Um, for, for me, since being home, I've had the opportunity to go back. I was invited to go back into Danbury Prison where I was in Connecticut. That was the second prison where they took me eventually after California. And for me... Um, and Susan Taylor went in with me, and it was an, an empowering experience, but it was just painful for me because I went through it. I've been at that facility, and I knew some of the women who were still there. And when I was talking earlier, I've kind of gotten off track. There's some women that I know that had never been in trouble before who have a life sentence oh, because dear. of their relationship with a drug dealer and there were a couple of women who I knew that um, and still know who are still in prison, and they still had their life sentence, and they didn't get their sentence commuted from President Obama before he went out of office. So they're still struggling to, you know, come home. Oh, yeah. And so mm-hmm. I continue to, to advocate for them. But it, that was one of the hardest things for me to see a girl. Her name was Michelle West, woman who I was friends with, and to see her face and so much time had gone by and for her to still be there and mm-hmm. her daughter to be grown and for her to still be there today during the holidays, it really does, you know, kind of pain me to know that that's their, still their current yeah, situation. Yeah, that's struggle. so true. Well, I tell you, definitely the supreme higher being, the creator, our creator, had a definite purpose for you. And that purpose was to be out where you could share with other women and other people. Just think, would you have ever thought that your story would have made the news, the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, and most importantly, to be commuted by the then President Clinton? Tell me, what kept you, there's two questions, and I'm going to ask this really quickly. Okay. How was your, how was your clemency campaign devised, and who were your advocates because okay, first of all, um, somebody came in and they saw your story and they brought it to light. Was that how the clemency campaign was devised from the from the from that? Well, initially there was the advocacy from the article of people wanting to bring me home, but then there was this big push for commutation clemency before mm-hmm. Clinton went out of office. And so there were scholars, lawyers, journalists mm-hmm. that came together as a group that met to strategize how to make this thing happen. And Uh so LDF, of course, they were my representation, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. And so um, Uh they were working 
you know, as far as um, putting in the petition, the paperwork that needed to be submitted. But there were also people such as Congresswoman Waters, uh, who was a strong, heavy advocate, and other mm-hmm. members of the CBC. I know um, there's some stuff going, buzz going on about Congressman Bobby Scott now, but he was a strong advocate for me mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. always family, friend, supporter of of mine. And so um, he was pushing my paperwork to go through as well. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's something that is a modern-day miracle to receive a commutation from the president. Well, it um, is. It and, is. And, also, and that's what I was, I was asking. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was also told, you know, Eric Holder, um, Vernon, um, I can't think of his name right now. Jordan? But Ver- Vernon Jordan, that there were several people that had relationships with LDF that they knew that they could get in certain people's ear that mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. were involved in trying to make this thing happen too. So um, it wasn't something that was a for sure thing. We didn't know if it was going to actually happen. And um, honestly, the day, December 22nd is the day that I was released from federal prison. I was sitting with my attorney from LDF and his son. They thought that it was going to happen and hours and hours went by and eventually for me, I was just like, well, I need to go back on the yard on the other side of this visitation room and deal with my reality that this isn't going to happen. And when I went back on the yard and they left because I, they needed to make phone calls to see what was going on, but when I went on the yard, there were women approaching me saying that they heard my name on CNN, that I was going to get my sentence commuted. And oh. that, right. Yeah. That, that, I'm I'm rejoicing now. I'm rejoicing. However, we got to take a quick break, and we're okay. going to be right back to find out what happened when you crossed the other side of the yard. Okay, thank you. We're going to be right back. So, listeners, stay tuned. We'll be right back with Miss Kemba Smith. <laughs> We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life, or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi there, and welcome back 
with my guest today, Ms. Kimba Smith, who's a motivational public speaker and advocate, has testified before Congress and the United Nations and spoken at the White House. And I'm sure if you've been listening to today's show, you're going to get more of her story today. So, Kimba, welcome back. And we were talking about the clemency campaign and what was happening while all of the pe- people from the LBF and LBS and LDF. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody. And, wait a minute, and the God Squad. <laughs> yes. Oh, what was happening? So here you are, you go on the other side of the, the yard, and the women are saying to you, we heard your name on CNN that your sentence was going to be commuted. What happens then? Um, then I still hadn't received official word from um, this, a staff member in the prison, and I went to my cell my roommate at the time, um, she was Jamaican, and she was trying to encourage me to, you know, as much basically saying, Kimba, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And eventually, a staff member did call me into their office and told me that, you know, they had received paperwork, that I had received clemency. And when they handed me the paperwork, it was something on there about me being on probation for five years, because some people think commutations, clemency, you have a clean slate, but when I saw the probation for five years, I didn't care. I was going to sign it. I didn't care. (laughs) So I signed it, and um, they got me out of there quickly. I did notice with President Obama's commutations last year, um, instead of people being immediately released, which I'm so grateful that that's what happened with my situation, but Mm -hmm. when he commuted people's sentences, they got like a future release date. Um, okay. So I was released that same day and um, eventually <sighs> flew back. But in, in leaving the prison, just one last thing, um, they locked the whole prison down. And as I was walking out of my unit, everyone was shouting me well wishes. And that's something that when I think about it, I tear up and everything I because I, <laughs> I was just happy but at the same time sad because I knew that there were so many other women that needed to be walking out of that prison with me and being afforded a second chance as well so that has been my motivation in advocating and being a voice for them and continuing to change policy. Well I, I just love it and I love your story and I just thank you so much for sharing it and I know uh, it was something having to real build your life uh, once you, you know, come out of an incarceration for however long it is. And so I know you wrote your book, Poster Child, and I want to just share a little bit about that because I loved your tagline. It was easy falling in love with the drug dealer, but the hard part was paying for his crimes. So how did this book come about? Were you, when you got out, was this to be sort of cathartic for you and healing for you to write this book? It was honestly, I have to be honest, I actually was, um, I knew it had to be done, but I was um, nervous about it because I knew that there was anxiety with it. I knew I was going to be revisiting some hurtful um, Mm -hmm. times, hurtful memories. Um, You know, I have a child by this person um, where I was very calculative in how I wanted it to be put together because mm-hmm. in raising my son, not only did I let him know the truth, the good mm-hmm. and the bad, but I wanted him to understand that what his father did was bad behavior, that he wasn't a total monster. 
because mm-hmm. I didn't want him to feel any less of a person because mm-hmm. of who his father was. So mm-hmm. I was very calculative in some of the things that I put in the book, but I'm very transparent about um, mm-hmm. what happened. And for me, it's a healing process with the book, and I had a ghostwriter who helped me write it because I felt like I would never finish it because of my emotional roller coaster and, and, <laughs> right. and, and everything that happened. Um, but in speaking, there's definitely a healing process that it's brought me to who the, the woman that I am today mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. by me being able to share my story and in helping people and when people coming up to me afterwards and tell me, you know, how me sharing has affected them, um, that's what's kind of motivated me to keep doing what it is that I'm doing. Well, it certainly has been uh, motivational to me when I saw you in person. I stepped up on stage, if you will recall. <laughs> yes. I do recall. (laughs) (laughs) And met you personally. And I think, and I know that was favor by my favorite person. And so, but uh, to to really have you speak and to be so confident um, and brave, because it takes a lot of courage to be transparent and to be so authentic. What impact uh, have you had, uh, Kimber, by sharing your story, and particularly you use it as an educational tool, I know, to help other young people from going down this same path. So from all of your work, what impact do you believe you've achieved and some of the testimonies you've received? Well, I know what someone has shared with me is that I will never know how much of an impact the story has made. Um, But some testimonials that I can recall, I can remember at the end of a speaking engagement, a young lady coming up to me, and basically she had this leather-bound holder with her degree from Hampton University in it, and she was tearing up and crying, and she walked up to me, and she said, had I not shared my story, that she would have never gotten her degree, and that she thanked me so much for all of what I've been doing because she was in the exact same situation that I was in, and someone shared Mm -hmm. with her the story, and she got immediately got out of it. So there have been situations such as that, but then also from men, young young men, um, Mm -hmm. I can remember going into a, a detention facility, and there was a young man that came up to me afterwards, and basically he apologized to me and basically said he was Peter. And by hearing my story, it allowed him to see what he had been doing to women and how he wanted to live his life different. Oh, and that's marvelous. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm just grateful that God has allowed me to be a 40 Forty-something-year-old woman, and still well, confident enough to, 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 to talk about these poor choices, and you know, past to motivate other people to want to do differently and have healthier relationships. But outside of just transforming lives with the advocacy part, um, you know, I've also worked towards. Um, felony disenfranchisement, and I had the opportunity to travel with uh, NAACP delegation that went to the United Nations in Geneva, Switzerland, to talk about voter suppression laws in the U.S. That was me working with um, Ben Jealous, who was president of the NAACP at the time, and so mm-hmm. to meet with high officials from different countries to for them to be able to hear my voice and experience, and they'd be so surprised that what happened to me is even going on in one of the most democratic nations and the fact that at that particular time I still couldn't vote. So, mm-hmm. 
that's how my voice has been able um, to advocate. But then lastly, um, and, you know, I'll pause there because I don't know, maybe you want to ask me about it, but I, I did, you know, have the opportunity to go to the White House and have a memorable experience that, you know, I'll never forget. Share that. Share Definitely share that because I think that's so important. You know what? I want to bookmark and say, you know, how, Kimba, millions of people nationwide watched you, watched your arrests and how all of this played out on the headlines and how, how you know, from this to the White House. I mean, think of this. This is just absolutely, this is incredible. So anyway, just share your White House experience and what happened. We have a few minutes to do that. Thank you. Thank you for bookmarking that. And and what I want people to really hear is that you can go through ugly, and some mm-hmm. people want to be silent about that ugly, but you never know how you can empower others. And for me, mm-hmm. I had questioned what it was that I was doing because I'm retelling a story over and over again. And for me personally, I'm asking God, is this what you have me to do? But mm-hmm. at this particular time when I was asking I was working with another person, and we were helping to coordinate a panel discussion at the White House because President Obama and his staffers wanted to talk about our experiences in coming home and reintegrating back into society. So I was really excited about being able to go and be a part of organizing these panel discussions. Mm-hmm. And my friend, Nikichi Taif, I just have to say her name, she was the one that brought me into the mix with that. And so... I received a call just before we were supposed to have the conference at the White House, and basically the staffer had asked me if I could be at the White House a day early. And so Mm -hmm. I was just like, you know, when the White House calls and wants you to come a day early, you rearrange your schedule to get there. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I get there, and basically me and about six, six or seven other formerly incarcerated people met with Valerie Jarrett, and they basically told us in the beginning of the meeting that President Obama's schedule was busy and that he wasn't going to be able to meet with us, but they just wanted to hear from us and our stories. And in the middle of this long conference table was a box of tissue. And so each of us shared our stories. The majority of the people that were at the table with me had their sentences commuted by President Obama himself, but I was one that had been commuted by President Clinton. And an hour into the meeting, who walks in but President Obama himself? And basically, oh, wow. he, he said that, you know, he was busy. He wanted to come in and say hello. But little did we know, he had been on social media before the meeting saying how he was excited to meet us and how he was planning on taking us to lunch to hear our stories and the work that talk about the work that we've been doing. Oh, so gosh. it was a surprise for us. But basically, he asked us if we wanted to go have lunch, and next thing you know, we're riding through a motorcade in D.C. and having lunch at Busboys and Poets. So it was an unforgettable, memorable experience that I'll never forget. How wonderful. Oh, I want to thank you so much for sharing that. And we have to wrap up this incredible show today. And I just want to thank you, Kimba, for being on the show. You have demonstrated certainly that one can learn that there's a lesson in every experience in life. And Kimba, you've embraced it and you've learned from it. And you are now using your experience to teach others. And I thank you for it. And I want to applaud you and wish you God's blessings as you continue your journey. And young lady, we are not going to lose time. 
touch. We're going to stay in touch with each other. And listeners, I want you to know that you can get immediate access to her book, Poster Child, from her website. She actually sells it from her website, and it's a little bit cheaper. Her website is KimbaSmith.com. Is that right, Kimba? Yes, ma'am, it is. KimbaSmith.com. So please get Poster Child where you'll read all of the details and all of the positive experiences and the power of using good choices. So, Kimba, again, thank you for being on the show. I wish you success in your future endeavors. And listeners, if any of you missed that show today, remember you can download it later. So, Kimba, do you have any last words you'd like to say to my guest? Just to thank you, Dr. Young, for your support um, and if you could just, you know, encourage your listeners to, um, to, to not be, um, I don't, for lack of a better word, closed-minded to this issue of incarceration and women and just to educate yourselves as far as what's going on and see what we can do to make a change to help other people um, make better choices, but then also to help them when they come home and want to reintegrate back into society. So I thank you for embracing me and thank your audience, and I look forward to us being in touch, and happy holidays. And I want to thank you again so much for being on the show, and I wish you all the happy holidays, and definitely you deserve them. And I'm so thrilled that I had a chance. We didn't talk about this, but I had a chance to meet your beautiful daughter. So you have since remarried, and you have this beautiful child, and she is absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. So I want to remember her. Thank you, and she's smiling in my face right now. Well, tell her, remember the lady with the white hair, because she was so fascinated with my hair. (laughs) I will definitely tell her. Oh, and also, happy anniversary to my parents, to your listeners. My parents have been through it with my ordeal, but I just want to encourage the listeners out there that even through that horrible idea, my parents have been together 50 years, December 27th. So thank you so much. And you have an anniversary of December 22nd. And so God bless that you'd be home in time for your parents' anniversary. So I want to wish the Smiths a happy anniversary and a very blessed and happy holiday season. And thank you again, Kimber. This has been such a delightful day. And thank you so much for sharing and being so transparent. Until we meet again very soon. So thank you and goodbye. And listeners, stay tuned next week as I'll have another interesting show for you. I want to wish all of you out there happy Hanukkah, a beloved happy holiday season. God bless all of you. Thank you for listening. appreciate you joining us for Transformation for Success. Please join your host, Dr. Barbara Young, again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Or join us for our replay every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Have an outstanding week.